Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Well, good morning, the Centre. Brothers and sisters, it's a great privilege and honour to be with you this morning. Thank you to, to Mitch and the team for the invitation again. Uh, I know last year one of my colleagues, Jordan, came and shared and uh, she's a wonderful person and she just raved about your church and your congregation and what a great time she had here. Uh, Jordan's actually moved into a different role within the organization. She's in communications. And so if you're into podcasts, you should follow our podcast on Spotify, whatever platform. She's now the host of that. And so you get to hear her voice continue there. Today, uh, I'm incredibly grateful to be here with my colleague Joyce, um, who joined the team recently. And so we'll be at the uh, outside, sorry, not at the back, but outside there at a table. And we'll have a few resources that we'd love to gift you with. I'd like to highlight some of those. One of them is a prayer guide. And so this is a quarterly prayer guide that you can sign up for regular updates through our website. And today is the International Day of Prayer. So we do have some special prayer card and resources if you would like to collect some from that desk. And then you'll also see on your seats there's a card here, and I'll talk more a bit about that later. Uh, but last year, we were so grateful uh, for your generosity and your prayerful approach to supporting Open Doors. Uh, we reported back last year that your church raised, just from that one Sunday, $5,030 um, to Christian training and pastors training in Southeast Asia. And when, when we saw that come through the team, we we're incredibly overjoyed and grateful for that. Uh, and I had the fortunate uh, experience about three weeks ago to actually return back from Southeast Asia. We went on a trip there to meet some of our local partners. And what I was incredibly grateful for was to actually see some of the fruit of what churches like yours invested in last Christmas. Uh, we, went, we met with multiple pastors. I do have a photo um, of, uh, it's in the slides, um, a little bit further down, sorry, it's not really in order. It's that one there. And so that's there, us a couple of weeks ago walking onto this site um, it, we had uh, purchased a property there and it's now a ministry training center. And I remember walking through this and expecting it to be filled uh, with a, a bunch of 18 and 19 year old kids. Uh, I was incredibly surprised that I walked in and there were a couple of those. There was one uh, probably 20 year old guy and another 25 year old guy. There was a couple of younger women and there was a whole bunch of elderly women uh, studying and reading the Bible. And so these were all being equipped and trained for ministry. And there's such great need in this particular country. I, I can't be specific around the country at this time because we're still getting security clearance. Uh, but in this country, it can be incredibly difficult to get your hands on a scholarship or paying for theological training. And so we have gifted a lot of these um, members either scholarships or given them half or subsidize it by half. Um, and are training Christian pastors and leaders in the field. And to see the incredible diversity of those believers there was incredibly inspiring. And then we met the trainer, the person that was equipping a lot of these saints. And he has a, a story of his own. We had heard about this martyr that had been killed for, for his faith, a pastor in the region. It was the first one within that region about 20 or 30 years ago. And we soon came to realize that the gentleman that was teaching these classes was the son of that gentleman. And so his father was killed when he was just 11 months old. And he was here. He had his own wrestles with God. He struggled without having a father figure and just had this divine moment um, in his teenage years where he encountered God, God reassured that he was his father, um, and now he's equipping the saints um, in the context of persecution, but also from his own experience. And so 
the money that you raised last, uh, last year rather, uh, went to places like this in Southeast Asia, training and equipping believers. Um, and so we just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and from the team side, thank you for your generous support last year. It is incredibly appreciated. T today I do want to talk uh, through a quick message uh, called The Treasure or The Hidden Treasure. I change the name sometimes, I'm not actually sure what the title says. And I want to stay in Matthew's Gospel today. One of the themes I've noticed that earlier this year, I don't know how many of you have gone on the journey of reading the Bible in a year, uh, but I embarked on that journey early this year. And I recognized from, from Genesis uh, to Matthew and throughout the Bible, there was this pattern that was emerging to me, that there were many people who were called by God, called to be on the mission of God, and many of them said yes. And, and for those who said yes, there was often a cost attached to that, and there was a moment of surrender. And there have been many who have been called by God. God has asked them and called them into the ministry, and many have walked away or said no. And every time that someone is asked to follow God, it's often followed up by the enduring of a cost or a moment of surrender. And, and I, in Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus talking about a whole bunch of parables. And I just want to focus on one particular parable today in Matthew 13, 44. It reads this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. I'll read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. About three or four months ago, my wife and I were cleaning up some of our rooms at our home and I know oftentimes we can accumulate junk and old mail and other things and it got to this point where we we're just standing in our living room and we just had this epiphany and we thought you know how hard would it be if God called us to move house or country or suburb or, or whatever tomorrow or next week how quickly and practically could we actually respond to the voice of God in obedience and we were really challenged by this question because oftentimes God we called people in the Bible and there was an immediate response to leave everything behind and follow Him. And, and the challenge we had and we considered and we reflected on our lives, have we so rooted in our own ways, our own comfortability, that we would miss God's voice or deny God's voice because we're too attached to the life we live? And so this year as I've been reading through the Bible, I've been reflecting a lot on the genealogy of faith. The people of God, the men and women of God over generations and generations from the Old Testament to the New Testament who have responded to the call of God, the lineage and the generations of faith that have gone before us. I reflect on people like Ab Abraham, who at the call of God, he left his native country, his father's relatives and left to a foreign land or, or Isaac or Jacob who had similar situations. You think about Moses, a, a great man of God. He took his wife, his kids and a donkey and he left Midian back to Egypt at the age of 80 after establishing a new life with his wife's relatives. He was comfortable shepherding the sheep. I've been particularly touched and impressed on by Elisha and Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah had been told by God that he was passing on the mantle of a prophet to somebody and God led him to Elisha who was working and plowing with oxen. Many of us would know the story. And it says, the, the word of God says in 1 Kings that Elisha was driving the 12th pair of oxen. He, that was his day trade. And this, there's this moment where Elijah throws his cloak onto Elisha. And this was symbolic of just passing on the anointing of, of being a prophet to Israel. 
And Elisha's response, although he was comfortable where he was, he, he responded to the call of God. He left his oxen. He ran and accepted the offer, said bye to his mother and father. And then he comes back and slaughters the oxens and then destroys his equipment and burns them on a fire. And see, the call to be a prophet of Israel to Elisha came at a great cost. It, came, it was a risk. He was giving up his whole livelihood, but he left it behind to follow and say yes to God's call. And he burned plan B. And see, he wasn't interested in, in protecting his livelihood. He was a man who, who discovered a hidden treasure, a, a pearl of great value, and he rid himself of everything. He said goodbye to his parents, his livelihood, the townspeople, his community, and followed God wherever he was leading him. And I, I often look at these stories in the Old Testament and think these are radical stories because the Old Testament sometimes just comes across as crazy. Uh, but if you look at the New Testament, you see a similar theme with the people of God. You don't have to go too far into the New Testament to see Jesus on a shoreline in, uh, in Israel. He's walking along and he, and he meets Andrew and Peter. And he, and he goes to them and he says, follow me. And they drop their nets at once and follow him. And then he goes a little bit further down the shore and he meets two other bo uh, brothers, sorry, James and John. And they're sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee and he calls them. And immediately at once, they leave their father's business behind. They leave their boat, their day trade, and they follow Jesus and respond to his call. We see many women throughout the New Testament. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, other businesswomen, they traveled with Jesus. They supported his ministry out of their own means, financial means, and they gave their lives committed to the call of God. And see, all of these men and women that I have just mentioned, they were all excited and captivated by the call of God. There are fathers and mothers in the faith. They heard the call of God. And in their excitement, in their deep joy and conviction, they left everything behind. They left what they knew. They left their comfort. They left their possessions and committed their heart to following God. I know for my own self, a part of my testimony is that my father uh, he grew up in Fiji uh, in, in a household of 11 children and his father was a Hindu pundit. Uh, and a decision came in his life. He was meant to follow in his father's footsteps to be a Hindu priest. And a moment came in his life where he had an encounter with Christ and he had to make the decision. Do I disappoint my family? Do I go against all my family and cultural expectations to follow God? And I know that I'm so grateful that he did. So the challenge for us in a culture that promotes balance, put yourself first, live safely, live comfortably. How do we as modern Western Christians, how do we reckon with the radical call of Jesus to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him? Because if we think about these men and women of God, men and, sorry, women of God what was it about them that made them so memorable or so great in their, in their endeavors? Was it the fact that they were skillful, that they were talented, that they were good looking or the family had great wealth? Oftentimes it wasn't. These were men and women of faith who had found a great treasure and in their excitement and joy left everything behind to follow God. They sold everything they owned to possess what really mattered. And they made a personal connection with God, the God of Israel or Jesus in the flesh. They found someone of an incomparable value and responded in obedience. 
in the people that I've met and the stories that I've heard throughout the persecuted church, I've heard many stories of believers in Iraq and Syria and the Middle East that when ISIS came through, I've heard stories of businessmen who owns large amounts of property, had incredibly successful businesses. But once persecution arrived, once ISIS arrived, they had to make the decision to either renounce their faith, they had to either renounce their faith or flee the country. And they left everything behind because of that. They had the decision to make. Do I, do I hold on to my possessions? Do I hold on to my great wealth? Or do I deny Christ? When I, met, when I went to Egypt, I met many devoted followers of Jesus. Many who had left careers as lawyers or accountants to serve the most uh, malnutritioned, the most uh, unfortunate circumstances where people were in environments that were toxic, working environments where limbs were being amputated, where they were being incredibly abused. And these people left their careers to pastor the broken, the hurting. I've met, uh, I met a man last October called Amin. He was from Iran. He was working in oil and gas rig as an engineer, and he had an encounter with Christ. Him and his, his mother and his sister on the same night woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning, had the exact same dream of Jesus. The man in white revealed himself to him. They, they left the, the Islamic faith. They came to know Christ. It's a long story. I won't tell it all today. Uh, but then he was sharing the gospel at work secretly. He had a, a Bible and he wrapped it in newspaper. And he was sharing the gospel and living out his faith in such a dangerous country where you can be put in prison or killed for your faith. And then he was found out, um, one of his apprentices that he thought he could trust, who he was sharing the gospel with, reported him to the officials. He was offside on a two-week deployment. They told him to visit the office as soon as he came back. He came back. And they brought him into the boss's office. They gave him a piece of paper and says, we found out what you've been doing. We found out you're now a Christian. You can either resign or renounce your faith. And then at that moment, he, he resigned. And then he was then, his, one of his friends alerted him that his life was in danger. Um, and so he then had to flee the country with his wife and leave everything he had earned and built behind to follow Jesus. And so we hear about God's people doing their father's business in many parts of the world, and oftentimes it, it comes at a cost, and it is difficult. Uh, last August, I saw probably one of the most powerful expressions of this, um, and it was quite a, quite a tragic event. We, we were coming to the front gates of a church called El Botrosea Church in downtown Cairo. Uh, it's a place characterized by lots of traffic, lots of horns honking, lots of people, uh, and we were there in August, so it was a hot summer's day there. It was probably about 39, 40 degrees Celsius. And we arrived at the front gate of this church. And to go to a church in Egypt, it's an incredibly different process uh, to what you would experience in Australia, where you're met not by welcomers with a smile, although you get to that at some stage, but instead by military and police um, and metal detectors. And so we, we came on this van and we were first... Uh, in, uh, arrived and were met by a man who did a bomb check on our bus with a, with a dog. And then we went past the security checkpoint. I remember walking through the courtyard of this Coptic Orthodox church. It felt a little bit different because I hadn't really been within a Coptic Orthodox church before. Uh, but we walked through this courtyard before we entered the front gates of this church. And I remember seeing a banner with 29 faces on the front of this church, but I didn't really know what we're walking into. And then we started to make our way to the right-hand side of this entrance of this church. And what we soon realized is that we were retracing the steps of a suicide bomber. We, we found ourselves walking to the right-hand side entrance of this church, and we were met by two local Egyptian men, beautiful men, very friendly, uh, quite quiet. And so they ent we entered then on this, onto this red carpet through the right-hand side entrance of this church. And we do have a photo of some pillars. Um, I don't know if we have the photo of the... Sorry, not that one. Um, another one. 
that's the one there. And so we entered in this church and I'll never forget the sheer destruction that one man with ball bearing straps to his chest could cause. We were surrounded by pillars like these, which still bore witness and, and bore the marks of the explosion and the shrapnel on that day. And so we found ourselves on this red carpet and we were led to this spot where there was a black tile um, and the, the gentleman then started to talk to us through a translator and said that this black tile was the, the spot where the, the bomb went off on that day. And 29 of our brothers and sisters lost their life that day. But, and, and I remember that, 20, that, that f- the, the faces of the 29 people that we saw at the entrance of the courtyard, there was 28 female faces and then one male face. And this one male face, he looked exactly like one of the men that was standing right in front of us. And we found out that these 29 faces were the people that were deceased, so it confused us. But we, we soon were told and, and realized that one of the men standing in front of us was the twin brother of one of the gentlemen that lost his lives, an identical twin. They had the same mustache and facial, facial sorry, features. Um, and we began to talk to them to a translator. And these men, they, they were, it was a number of years after the attack, and so they were quite joyous and quite receptive to our visit. And we, we began to talk to them, and they insisted that we ask them some questions. And so we began to talk, to talk to them, and we asked them this one question. We asked them two questions, but one of the questions we asked them was, were you afraid of coming back to this church after the explosion, after the attack? And then the two men then looked at each other. They said a couple of words in Arabic and kind of chuckled and smiled. And, and we soon realized that if you ask a Middle Eastern person a, a silly question, they make it obvious and they let you know about it. And so that, that was why they giggled at us. And, and so they looked back at us and then spoke to our translator and our translator told us, they said, afraid? Of course not. They said the next day the church was full. And even after the explosion, as they began to try to restore the pews and the pillars within this church, they said people were still insisting to come in and gather and in solidarity with the brothers and sisters that had lost their lives. And they say, now every single day we have liturgy services, which is their form of church. And every day the church is full. And me spending time with our brothers and sisters there, I was incredibly challenged by not even the fact that they're bold and they're courageous, uh, but they expect persecution. And they see it as a part of their faith. And although they mourned, Although they grieved and their hearts hurt for their brothers and sisters that they lose, they know that their eternal reward that they get together in heaven is worth it. And, and so after experiencing and meeting these brothers and sisters at El Botrisay Church, I recognize that our living for Jesus, our lives under the call of God, will sometimes come with cost. It will sometimes come with difficulty. But as we do it in unity together under the name of Jesus, that the suffering we go through here on earth is, we can, we can do it with Christ and, and it is worth the eternal reward we get when he's going to wipe away every tear and all pain will be gone. And as, as we accept God's call to join his redemptive mission, we will experience a cost. And for our brothers and sisters, this cost is persecution. They are targeted by governments and religious extremists, even by family members uh, and many other sources of persecution. And people may, may insult you or exclude you for your faith, and some people would say that's happening a little bit more in Australia, and that, and that can happen as well. There's also another battle that we have. There is the war of the flesh and the temptation within us, the sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. And we are often so, uh, e- we are so eager to follow our own will and our own desires and our own agenda. 
but following Jesus as we know means saying no to that and yes to other things. I just want to quickly share an example here of a gentleman in Matthew 19 of someone who wasn't willing to pay the price, someone who said no to following Jesus. And I think it's quite a tragic event in Matthew 19. And we'll start from Matthew 19, 21. And I'm really going to summarize this story to try keep to time. But it's a gentleman who was a rich young man and he approached Jesus and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions, give money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And what follows that is one of the saddest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, in verses 22. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He had run into the Savior of the world, the Messiah, and he wasn't willing to give up everything he had to follow him. And then Jesus goes through this beautiful analogy of how hard is it for a rich man uh, to get into the, the kingdom of heaven. And then further on, he, he, he has a conversation and a dialogue and he reflects on this with his disciples. Because his disciples are uh, witnessing this and saying, you know what, isn't, rich, uh, isn't being wealthy and being rich a sign of, you know, you, things are going well for you and that, that could get you into heaven. And, and Jesus then speaks to the disciples and Peter asks this very potent question, sorry, potent question. Um, and Peter says to Jesus after this encounter with the rich man, he says, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? He says that in verse 27, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And then in verses 28, I believe Jesus here gives, replies to Peter and gives one of the most beautiful assurances. He says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon the, his glorious throne, you, ha- you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, which is a powerful promise for the 12 disciples. But I really want to hone in on verses 29 as I finish today. Peter asks, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. What will we get? And this is Jesus' reply in verses 29. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And on this earth, there is great suffering and tragedy. And many of our persecuted brothers and sisters, they lose houses, property, all their established structures. They reject the earthly authority, but they know the eternal reward that they are going to receive in heaven with their creator, the intimacy with God will be worth it. And so I want to uh, encourage you with that today, that everything we give up in this life, when you respond to the call of God, God not only will reward you in heaven, but he'll be with you now, comforting you, walking side by side with you, and that the eternal reward will be worth it. I'm just going to finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the great promise you've given us in Christ Jesus. We're so grateful for you and what you're doing amongst the community here at Dural Baptist. Um, And Lord, we just pray that you continue to inspire them to be everything you've called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you 
as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.